Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining us again for today's midweek update is Eric from ES Invests. We're taking the economist title off because, uh, well, I don't want another black eye. (laughs) Uh, Before we start talking about the events uh, from this past week, I'd just like to take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsors and friends though, over at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and with a new and improved 2.0 version of the Weed Whacker now available. It's the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2 at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. When it comes to institutional quality trading education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. A free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of a discount with them as well. And for all you DGENs who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to check out the custom tools and studies over at Orderflow Labs. And if you're not following Eric uh, at ESinvests on Twitter or YouTube, uh, or OnlyFans, uh, you definitely need to jump on there and start doing that. Uh, I just watched uh, part of the video that you did on, uh, uh, was it the Yale Financial course? <laughs> 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 oh my God, that is comedy gold. <laughs> Dude, oh my. It's it's like, it's cool stuff, but fucking hell. The first thing I thought of is if I were going through collegiate education right now, and that's what they put in front of me, Mm-hmm. I I would literally murder myself. I would be demanding a refund. Dude, the like the only way I'm even willing to do that for fucking YouTube videos right now is because I can fast forward time. That's the <laughs> right. only way that I can tolerate it. <laughs> is by fast forwarding time. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, does it get any better or does it continuously stay worse? Fortunately, it it does get actually pretty cool with some of the topics. So one of the, I think I I did two or three more videos on it so far. Part of it is just because I'm not willing to let myself cop out of something because Mm. it's not super convenient for me. Um, But the other thing is I know there's good stuff in there, right? Like I I understand the presentation style might not be great, but I also know that in order to be a professor at Yale, like I know you gotta be smart. You know what I mean? Like there's no way that you're not. So anyways, I checked out a couple of the next sessions and it does get better. Like they talk about what I would consider to be really important concepts for retail traders. And I genuinely mean this, like they, they talk about the construction of the uh, S and P 500 and then they go into like systematic and idiosyncratic risk, which I think is dope. Then they talk about um, asset. They talk about correlation variance, covariance, which again, like, if you ask the average retail trader about those topics, they probably don't know anything about it yet. Most of their trading decisions, whether they realize it or not, take those inputs into consideration. So there's actually like legitimately some good stuff. And then we have the topic you just talked about, 
which is like a firm slap in the face. You know, I fully expect the retention of that video to have a sharp peaky <laughs> drop off as soon as I say the words, something like insurance, because I was like, oh no, insurance. Right. But it's actually, uh, especially if you're a derivatives trader, even that session I enjoyed, which yeah. that I think, yeah, I think that appeals partly to my just inner nerd on the concept of financial markets. Um, but insurance is actually a huge part of it, unbeknownst to a lot of people. So I'm not even going to lie, man. Like I was terrified after that first video. I was like, oh no, what did I just sign up right. for? Because like right. I was telling you before, I'm not watching this stuff ahead of time. I'm not researching what topics are coming up. Like I literally, as I'm looking at it for the very first time, it is on the camera in the video that I record. And as we talked about, do not edit. So like, it's going to be what it's going to be. And after that first video, I was just like, fuck me. What am I doing? Uh, maybe, maybe that was, maybe that's his game plan. You know, maybe he's a genius and he sets the expectations so damn low on that first video. Right. That any integration of decent information, I am very excited for. <laughs> that's uh, that used to be my strategy. The lower you set the bar, the easier it is to step over it. <laughs> Maybe that's exactly what he was doing because yeah, right. that first video, I was just like, okay, this is going to be unlimitedly painful. <laughs> All right. I forgot to tell everybody where they can reach us. Um, got any corrections, suggestions, questions for future guests, or you got some stories you want us to cover. You can shoot us an email at two bowls at financial or you can join that free discord server. For now, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's discussion, which I think is probably going to center around uh, some of the Fed speak that we heard today and trading around these types of events. Does that sound, did I sum that up correctly? Sure. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk. The first thing that I want to talk about is I'm not going to cover what was talked about in the testimony. I want to talk more about what Ken Griffin, uh, who apparently decided to offer some, some advice to, to Mr. Powell, uh, he was on Bloomberg yes, uh, to, was that yesterday, uh, complaining about the variance of his message over the past couple of weeks, saying that it's been incredibly counterproductive. Uh, he's he's of the opinion that the Fed needs to have one message and to stick to it consistently. Uh, was there another testimony that I missed or another statement they released? Because the message has been pretty clear, in my opinion. Sort of. I can see what Ken is talking about after I get over the fact that they're involved in more scandals than I can shake a stick at. So I don't yes. really give a fine talk about what Citadel says, but I do understand. Um, I do understand his point. And the main thing is it's not the way that you and I receive information. It's the way that the market writ large receives messages mm -hmm. and during events like that, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but during events like that, people are trying to glean literally every morsel, sub-morsel, sub-sub-morsel of information as it's being spoken real time because markets depend on it. Money can be made. Lots of money can be made based on very short-term timeframes around those things or a lot of risk can be introduced. So even minor variances in tonality in the way that we express timeframes, which there are variances to that level of detail, especially if you look at the minutes and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I, 
actually, as much as it pains me to uh, like concur with anything Ken says, I think in this case, like I, I can see it. I don't think he's off. I, I, yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying too about the, um, uh, where was the bit in there where he talked about using the words goods disinflation? Like somehow everybody only heard that phrase and completely missed the part where he talked about how the service sector, which is half the economy, has shown zero signs of easing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, okay, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, it's and it's, you know, it's because as this stuff is coming out real time, man, you know, you, you well, have... how much of his is his complaint then based on uh, like algorithms trading uh, like it? trying to interpret the real time data as it comes out. Like that's a thing, right? Where you can basically feed in the audio and have something like actually make trades based on the words it hears. I presume it's a thing. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with any like studies based on how they actually work. So I couldn't speak to it intelligently, but I mean, it, it's financial markets are, you know, t tens of billions of dollars of business. So I'm sure there's mm -hmm. something to that degree in there, but I think even beyond the speed maybe that's being produced by algorithms, but I also think that there's even just a degree of like bond markets positioning. Like there are literally people that are changing their positions based on what they're hearing. Right. Or if you talk about options markets, like large institutions real time are updating their implied volatility surface models to reprice options because of the, you know right, what right, I mean? Right. So I think be, yeah, beyond just, uh, you know, maybe trading algorithms attempting to capitalize on different vernacular and short-term movements. I think there's an even broader scale of real-time positioning that's occurring, like as they're talking. So, I I really do agree with like the overall sentiment of what he says. I also, you know, wouldn't care if you fell down a set of stairs, but <laughs> nonetheless, I still I still can see his point. All right, fair enough. Um, there was uh, let's see, how are we going to lead into the second part of this. Uh... I mean, let's be honest, like not much about what you do on these things is like super graceful. Oh, fair enough. So I think that <laughs> well, now I have to leave this. In. A, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I think if there's just a change from one thing to another, it's not like all the listeners are going to go, Oh my God, this is typically such a graceful thought out presentation. And I cannot believe that I was jarred so abhorrently by Kyle attempting to transition I, topics so uneloquently. I like my segues, man. I put a lot of effort into them. But you know what? Fuck it. You already burst my bubble. You talk about what you want to talk about. No, I, I mean, I thought you were going to bring up your next news source. No, but no, no. I mean, There's no if, more news sources. Forget that. Do you not want to talk about Binance? No, no. I'll, skip, I'll just save that for uh, the weekend. Okay, cool. Yeah, so then, you know, one of the things we were talking about before was this idea of, you know, we were literally just talking about the idea that markets are attempting to synthesize information as they get it. And I came across a post on Reddit, which I thought was fascinating. It was a really, really great question from somebody. And they're like, you know, everything's priced in. That's something you'll right. hear if you're on markets any periods of time. You And I'm sure everybody listening has heard that everything's priced in. But then they juxtapose that and they say, well, how can that be the case right. if markets are um, essentially purely efficient? If what what what's happening then like how does this happen how is everything priced in already if things are perfectly efficient where does the pricing in happen and what does that function look like yeah when did it price it in is it pricing it in as soon as the exactly. news drops or does people somehow know about it beforehand 
which I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's, it's a really, really great dialogue. So I thought we could touch on it here specifically against the light of what we see during these Fed speakings, yeah, okay. right? Because that's what's happening. Like it's a, it's a primetime example of what quote unquote it's priced in means. And if you look at any sort of minute chart in the E-mini futures or bonds, mm-hmm. You can literally follow the tone of the speech if you put them side by side. And if if you haven't done that yet, especially as a newer trader, I cannot explain to you how much I encourage you to do that. And if you say, well, you know, like, oh, I work during the day. I can't do it at night. Totally cool. You could pull up the recording of the press conference and then pull up a chart and just move it minute by minute as you're listening, because it really is a fascinating display of things being priced in real time. Huh. So it's not, when we say things are priced in, there's a couple like really important notes for people to understand. The very first thing is when we talk about pricing things in, we're not talking about discrete outcomes. We're talking about an array of probabilities. Right, right. That is an immensely important point that I think a lot of people miss. Like one of the examples is the uh, the rate hikes. Like, oh, it's priced in that they're expecting 50 bips now. Well, hold on, wait a minute. It's a 75% chance of a 50 bip rate hike now. That's what's priced in. It still hasn't materialized. So when that actually happens, there's still you know some some price action that needs to happen to to compensate for that, right? Bingo. That, that like, and you're on the exact correct thought process. That and that's an important note because a lot of people they hear. It's priced in and for, and I understand why they would think of it this way, that essentially, you know, all of the information is immediately priced in, in its entirety with certainty. And, you know, that's because it's like the phrase kind of sounds like that. Right. But that's not really what we mean. What we mean is as we're receiving new information, we are pricing it in along an array of probabilities of outcomes. Mm-hmm. unless there is a discrete thing, right? Like sometimes those scenarios do happen. Like when the Fed actually announces the rate, that is now a discrete outcome that will then still be priced in, not just today, but then we forecast the probability of additional movements in that same market. So when we talk about things being priced in, the first note is it's probabilistic in nature. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is really important for people to, to be aware of is it's not perfect. Markets are consensus-driven institutions. So what that means is on a small scale, me and you, two retail traders, we might look at something and have two completely different opinions in terms of what the correct price is. If you think that that doesn't happen even at the larger scale of market makers or at institutions, you're wrong. Yeah, because it does happen. Is there a wide degree of variance? Sometimes, but more often than not, these guys, they're going to be pretty close. But when you're working in trillions of dollars, pretty close is still a big fucking market. (laughs) There's a lot of money in pretty close. So one of the cool things, though, is you get to see the pricing of things happen real time as we attempt to find consensus. And that's why during the day when we're getting these different crazy up and down moves super, super fast, some of them really big candles, some of them really small candles, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing people arriving at consensus real time as we're attempting to price information. And the last thing I wanted to end with on this is on the the concept of um, purely efficient markets. I think anybody that trades know that it's not the case. We don't live in purely efficient markets. But for those that aren't aware, 
essentially when we're talking about efficient market hypothesis, there are three different forms. And, you know, most people think we live somewhere around the semi form. And that's kind of like the, the middle rung. But if markets are purely efficient, the outcome there would be if a new piece of information is released, everybody would price it perfectly immediately uh-huh. and it would be done almost as fast as it comes up. Right. That's not what happens. We're in a consensus driven market. So it's just important for people to know, like when we're talking about this concept of pricing markets, this concept of um, real-time movement as we're getting information is that this isn't a perfect process, but that imperfection leads to trading opportunities. You as a trader should hear the term imperfection and get excited because that's where arbitrage is. That's where we can find variance risk premiums and volatility products or equity products. The main story though, is that the idea of things getting priced in is a little more intricate than I think people think. And it's important to think of it both probabilistically, it's consensus driven, and it's not a perfect outcome. It takes time for it to materialize and arrive at whatever its terminal value is. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Do you have any good resources for somebody who wants to learn more about how that works? Um, like the Yale financial courses, maybe, or something along those lines? Probably. I, you know, I, to be honest, I haven't done a video on it, so I actually probably should. Yeah. But beyond, beyond that, I think SSRN would probably be my go-to, like if I wanted to learn about it. What SSRN? What is that? Yeah. So it's just a big database for different academic papers, but Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. We linked that before. Yeah, because that's where you can learn about something like, and really the the best surrogate I could offer to somebody for that is uh, PEAD, like post earnings. And I think that is a great representation of market inefficiencies, but then also pricing and information. So if you just look up... That was a great like callback. PEAD, what's that? That was a great callback. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And... Yeah. And so you, you could look up, you know, the post earnings announcement drift and you can learn a lot about it, but like the SSRN, it's the social science research network. It's got a ton of great stuff in there Mm -hmm. and it's all free. So if, but if you want to learn about this concept in general, anyways, of, you know, markets pricing things in, you can use PEAD as a surrogate because that's what that is. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of an instance of the market pricing things in and Uh, how essentially that process works. Okay. That makes perfect sense. All right, I'll make sure that uh, I go dig out that link and stick it back in this one again in case anybody wants to to research that a little further. They missed it on the first uh, the first go around. For sure. Yeah. I I think that there's some really really interesting, yeah, there's some interesting papers. I'll throw a couple of them in right now actually for you. Oh, nice. And then um yeah, I also I owe a video on it at some point 
it's kind of a more amorphous topic, so I haven't really prioritized it, but it's an interesting one nonetheless. And like I said, that that post that I saw in Reddit, it kind of reminded me that a lot of people, they're familiar with the concept, but they don't understand how it works and rightfully so, because it's, it's fucking confusing. I mean, that sounds like Reddit in general. For sure. The blind <laughs> leading the blind comes to mind. <laughs> right. But if you want to find consensus, that's probably a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Reddit, then, I think the last thing that we wanted to touch on today was something that you wanted to bring up. Uh, actually, a post that you made on Reddit, a uh, friendly reminder for new traders talking about day trading yeah. versus uh, different time frames. Yeah. So the the post is kind of a, a more meta style post. It's just general concepts for like new traders. But the specific thing I wanted to highlight for people is like, again, using the Fed speakers of the last two days mm -hmm. as a great example of why short term timeframes are more misleading than you think they might be. A lot of people think if I'm trading longer term positions that I have to be correct over for long periods of time. And they're not incorrect, but there are a couple important market forces that actually make longer term timeframes easier to predict than short term timeframes. And a lot of it ties back to what we were just talking about, this idea of real live information being priced in, and it's an imperfect process. Mm -hmm. So you could have looked at the Fed speech yesterday or today, and you could have said, okay, based on you know these 10 million economic factors that I see right now, this is what I think the correct outcome should be. I'm going to make a trade predicated on that. Guess what? The market doesn't give a flying fuck about all of the research you did, even if it literally is perfect, because there are still all of those larger institutions that are consensusly attempting to find price. So you don't really have the luxury of applying even what would conceivably be perfect analysis and getting a observable outcome from that perfect analysis because we are in a consensus driven market. So it's not just that, but uh, I mean, like markets are driven by emotions too. So like, what's the saying? The market can remain rational longer than you can remain solvent. Like sometimes, sometimes it's not facts and logic that's dictating the moves. It's actually the emotions of the participants. I totally agree with that. I think there's some caveats because yeah. some of the larger players are going to be institutions which tend to be pretty rational in their expression. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, a lot of what they do as an institution might seem irrational in a one trade or a one position standpoint, but it's also important to remember that a lot of those institutions have huge books. Yeah. So sometimes they might make a quote unquote irrational decision based on you know one single trade or one scenario for the greater good, which is still rational in their broader landscape. Mm -hmm. So even the world of rational irrationality becomes muddled when you kind of include these different levels exactly to your point. So it's very difficult, especially around binary events, to have high expectations for any sort of outcome, you might have a hypothesis and that's fine, but I would never really have these super high conviction hypothesis around binary events because it's very, very difficult to understand based on what we were just sharing, the real-time pricing of information, especially in super short-term timeframes. Like if you look at the market today, it was pretty damn insane. It went from, the SPX went from a high of what, like 4,000 down to 39.69 and then back up to like 39.91. Right. 
I actually it's sat just, the day out. I just, I did not like the way it was moving. And with Powell on the mic, to me, it was just, it's too much of a wild card. Like, how am I going to find an edge in there if, you know, somebody can literally say anything he wants in the next minute and could completely change the, the entire picture of the day? Yep, exactly. And that goes back to um, Citadel's point, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. some of those small, tiny pieces. Yeah, some of those small, tiny, like just inferences that might be made. Or, yeah, dude, they're read into and then some. And, you know, it's it was one of the most interesting things to see the probability of a 25 versus 50 basis point rate raise mm-hmm. essentially inverse in a day. Yeah. And if yeah. you haven't checked out the yeah, the Fed, um, the Fed rate track or whatever, that's I never used to use it because I always just use the bond futures, but I'm realizing that it is such a convenient way to explain it to people. Um, <laughs> like it's it's so much easier than me attempting to explain it via bonds. But I'll throw a link to that in here too, so that you can include it. But I, I just, I think that's another really great, it's a great tool for people to understand like how much these different statements flip things around mm-hmm. even between yesterday and today yeah yeah because a week ago it was like a 70 cent probability of 25 basis points as of yesterday it dropped to 30 as of today it dropped to 21 mm-hmm. right so this is that probabilistic scale there wasn't a large variance between what fed powell said yesterday and what big daddy j powell said today but that's still a nine fucking point change in the probabilities yeah i i mean it was the same statement even too wasn't it yep well, welcome to fucking Wonderland, everybody, where nothing makes sense. It's all fake. That is financial markets. If you can't accept the fact that we trade in fucking fairy dust, it's going to be a hard place to make any money. Did you uh, watch Jay Powell's testimony today? I did not. Oh, God. I, I tried to. And then once Maxine Waters started talking, I'm like, what? What does any of this have to? Somebody else got on there and started uh, asking what Powell's going to do about people when they buy and sell houses, uh, accidentally wiring their money to the wrong person. Love that. How, That's a how, really pertinent question. I. How often does that happen? <laughs> I think we need to spend more time on that. Yeah, I'm gonna. I gotta get Sue back on the mic here in a bit. Anyway, she's our uh, resident mortgage expert. Ask her how often that's occurring. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's enough where somebody in Congress needed to use up his five minutes of allotted time to ask Powell what he's doing to fix it. Well, you have to imagine, man, like a lot, a lot of times it's just based on a constituent and you never know. <laughs> you just never know the background behind this stuff, man. I know. I know. Uh, so what uh, what was the 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 recommendation then for the new traders on your post? How did you how did you wrap this up? What was the, the advice? Um, I really wrapped up with how I would start trading if I were to start trading over again, which I, I mean, I have like videos on, I talk about it all the time because I think it's probably one of the more profound messages I can share with people, even though nobody fucking listens to it. And to be completely honest, I probably wouldn't have listened to it either, but I still attempt to say it in different ways and connect it with different people. So in short, I would the like the post opens up with saying like day trading or because tr- options traders do this a lot. They try to find ways to circumnavigate the pattern day trading rule. That's like a fucking 40% of their effort in the market is to figure out how to get around it. <laughs> and my argument is like that is both of those instances are a pure waste of your time and energy when you first start trading. Yeah. Like literally a pure waste of time and energy. Um, my my proposed method in short would be for people to the, the very first thing I think we need to do it. This is what I would do. Let me frame it that way. Okay. This is what I would do. I would open up a brokerage account, 
I would buy and hold an index ETF like IWM or SPY. I would dollar cost average into it month over month with a set amount that I determine the beginning of the year with the goal of scaling it. The context behind that is when I first started trading in high school, I was super impatient and there was a lot of pressure on me because like I am my mom's retirement plan. She has no retirement. So I felt that pressure and I felt like I didn't have any time to waste because I understood the power of compounding interest. What I didn't understand is that by trying to start too fast, you can actually in the long run, slow yourself down. Hmm. And what I mean by that is if a small account experiences large drawdowns, oh. it has an outsized impact on the compounding returns. Yes. So my argument is start with buy and hold index ETF. You can set up very simple rules if you want, as in if it falls below a 150 day moving average, you flatten until it's back up above so that you do not participate in the drawdowns or you could just DCA in whatever fucking makes you happy. Then what I would be doing is paper trading. And again, that's like, the, that's like mentioning insurance in that fucking finance course. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear that. No. Because it sounds, it sounds like work, it's slow, and we're going to be too busy making money. But the problem is, is most of us, myself included, when we first start trading, what we don't realize is you're actually going to be spending a lot of time making stupid fucking mistakes and losing money. Yep. We don't think about that part. So the idea is I would want myself to paper trade for one full year. And in that one full year, I would be creating my written trading plan and I would be tracking my performance in a trading log. And if I cannot find a way to be profitable after that year, I need to take more time to figure it out. Yep. And I like, I genuinely think that's the way. And then once you have a profitable paper trading approach, you can start scaling in with your real capital and go forth and conquer from there. And I offered a handful of strategies specifically for option traders to start with. And the words vertical spread are nowhere in there. Mm -hmm. Same thing with iron condors, nowhere in there. Retail traders mistake the fact that because they cannot trade, most of them, because they have small accounts, because they cannot trade single options, that then these spreads make more sense. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is the market, again, doesn't give a flying fuck what's convenient for you. And the issue with this is you are giving up too much edge when you're trading spreads in general. That's not to say you can't be successful with them. But when you're first figuring it out, you either arguably have negative edge or no edge at best. Mm -hmm. Then you add in commissions, you add in spreads on the trades. Now your whatever edge was there is down to essentially nothing if there's anything positive. So what I offer to people is maybe start with things like ratio covered calls or my favorite, the covered strangle, which I still trade now, or the ratio diagonals that I like literally the strategies that I've migrated to over 16 years of doing this is what I would want to start with and get rid of all the other bullshit. Spending time fucking around with butterflies or double ratios or whatever the fuck, you can come up with another name, the zebra, Batman, the turquoise turtle. <laughs> like there's all these crazy ass names. And I do think it's important to explore them. That exploration and learning process is so important, but it's not where I would be putting not where you my start. actual money to try to figure it out. Yeah. It's just not a good use of time, man. Yep. So anyways, I walk through all of that to try to, I continue to try to tell people the stuff that I would want to tell myself if I could get myself to listen to. It's very difficult. And I understand it because again, when we all first start trading, most of us start from a disadvantageous position. We don't have a lot of money or knowledge. So the last thing we want to do is slow down. 
But the problem is, is I don't think people fully appreciate how much faster they would be able to go long term if they did take a slightly more tactical approach when they're first starting. And like, I didn't have that guidance. Yeah. You know, I tell people my mentor that got me interested in investing, he doesn't fucking trade. He literally just introduced the term stock market to me. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went and started reading. I was like left to my own devices from that point. But yeah, so I try to share some of those messages with people because it really bums me out to see new traders. They're trying to do something that literally can change their life. And they have a pretty poor approach again, just, and it's not their fault. They're just ignorant. Like all of us are when we first started, but we all have to make those mistakes for ourselves. It almost feels like, like I had experts coming on telling me the path to go. And I still ignored 90% of the good information they gave me because I didn't understand why it was important. I had to learn why it was important for myself. And I understand some elements of that, yeah. but what I offer to people um, in that vein as well is if that's the way that you operate, the markets are probably not going to be for you <laughs> because if, if you can't learn from other people's mistakes and if you can't learn from other peripheral information sources and integrate it without having to touch the stove yourself and find that the stove is hot, it's not the place for that. The margins for error are too thin yeah. to fuck around like that. That's why people blow up their accounts. Yeah, yeah. And my argument is if you blow up an account as a retail trader, you are like, statistically speaking, once that happens, your probability of success are now like quartered. You, it's very difficult. Huh. There are absolutely very successful retail traders that have blown up accounts. I want to be very clear about that. But the propensity, it's almost like a divorce, right? Like the more sleeping partners you've had before you get married, the higher the propensity is for you to get divorced at some point. It's, it's literally just the way that the broader numbers break out. So, and it, it can happen. I know a couple of traders that have blown up three, four accounts and then they figured it out. Yep. And that does happen. But what I think is dangerous is to benchmark off of these insane outlier cases and apply that as our benchmark. That's super fucking dangerous. Yeah. Like comparing yeah. yourself to Elon Musk, you can do it, but I, there's just, it's just such an outlier case. I would have a hard time thinking that that's a reasonable comparison to make. All right. We're starting to, to hit our mark here. So I think we're probably going to have to wrap up. So I'll make sure yeah. that the post is linked so that way people can uh, check out the, the, the thing in its full entirety. Because uh, it was a really good, well thought out, put together post. Uh, probably wasted on Reddit, but you know, it's better than Fintwood, I guess. <laughs> well, it's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. I'd just like to say thank you to everybody who stuck around to the end and Eric, who took the time again to sit down with us. Uh, I know Eric's time is valuable. Uh, just really appreciate you sitting down with us for this. You can learn more about Eric at his website at ES Invest and on YouTube. Check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But until then, slap that five-star rating like it called Jada Bald and take care. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. 
It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades. Such a goof. I workshopped that with my I wife. She loved that, that one. one. <laughs> That's so good. You want to say goodbye? My wife said I have to leave time for people to say goodbye. How much time? Uh, well, for you, it'll be another minute, I guess. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Goodbye. There it is. <laughs>